Greetings, you're watching the online ministry of St. Augustine's Anglican Church here in Inverell. This has been prepared for the 27th of June 2021. Our sentence of scripture today comes from Psalm 48. We have thought on your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple, as your name, so your praise reaches to the end of the earth, your right hand is filled with victory indeed in Christ it is. Let's sing about that. Your word gives love 
Our collect prayer for today, let us pray. Father, through the obedience of Jesus, your servant and your son, you raised a fallen world. Free us from sin and bring us the joy that lasts forever. We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Our Bible readings today, uh, Joel chapter 2, verses 23 to 32. Psalm 100. Our preaching passage is Romans 8, verses 1 to 17. Uh, please take a moment to pause this video and uh, read those passages of scripture out loud uh, particularly Romans 8 don't miss that one let's bow our heads and pray Father God we ask for your help as we come to your word uh, strengthen and sustain us uh, grow us in Christ Jesus Amen when our children were born uh, naturally we looked for family traits we wondered about family traits prior would Sophie have her mum's beautiful brown eyes? Well, no, she got granddad's blue eyes. And Thomas got mum's beautiful brown eyes. I even got a, a piece out of my ear uh, in the same place dad did. And every now and again, it is true, I grab my son, put him in a headlock, show me your ear. I want to see if there's a piece missing. Don't know why I need to do that, but there it is. What family traits do you have? What makes you a typical family member? Uh, for many chapters now in Romans, Paul has been encouraging all who belong to Christ. Here in chapter 8, those magnificent words, no condemnation. You are now joined to Christ. You belong to Christ. You are under grace. So our family traits then are going to be different to those who are under the law and under sin. Our family traits no longer resemble sinful Adam. We are not in Adam. We are in Christ Jesus. We're part of his body, part of his family. And so these are the assurances for those who are in Christ Jesus. And this is our big question this today, I should say. What does it mean to belong to Christ? What does it look like? What are the implications? What does it mean to have this life of no condemnation? Well, let's look at verses 1 to 4 and see what God has done through Christ. Verse 1 starts off with immense security. Verse 1, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You could turn, just pause for a moment and turn to the person next to you and read that out loud with a big smile on your face. And be encouraged. What a great way to encourage one another. Do it. Go and do it. If you're in church, do it. If you're at home alone, do it. Read it out loud. Feel the enormity. Therefore, there is no now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's incredible. In chapter 1, verse 18, the wrath of God. Oh, condemnation. You get to the end of chapter 7, torment, wretchedness. Who will save me? Who will deliver me from this body of death? Chapter 8, ah, oh, no condemnation. Is it 
for everybody. Is this a blanket rule? Of course not. It is qualified. You might not like the fact that it's qualified. Too bad. No, it's for those who are in Christ Jesus. And what does that mean? Well, verse 2, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And if you belong to Christ, you're set free from the enemy of sin and death. No condemnation. That's the gospel. It's for those who have embraced Jesus through the gospel. See, in the gospel, verse 3, God does what the law could not. He shows the impotence of the law. Verse 3, for what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, that's the corrupt sinful nature of us, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemns sin in the flesh. The law is powerless to save. The law cannot save you. The law cannot make you right with God. God makes us right. God acts. He makes us right with him and he sends his son uh, to be an offering for our sin. He who was, is without sin becomes sin for us. And so God condemns sin in sinful man. Now we're right with God. Sin is not only forgiven, it's done away with forever. So now his righteousness, this right standing, this righteous character will blossom out of his people, his family members. Look at verse 4. In order that the righteous requirements, in order that, that's a purpose clause. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. People who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the Spirit. Christ's righteousness is now counted as mine. Thank goodness for that. His righteousness is stamped on us in such a way we actually start to look Christ-like. We take on his nature, his character, his righteousness. We become conformed to his likeness. We grow in Christ. And if you're at St. Augustine's, that's our motto. That's our vision, growing Christ. That's it. It's a good vision. And so the assurance of verse 1, no condemnation, is stamped or grounded in the blood of God's Son. For who? For those who belong to Christ. And so maybe there's a question for you. We spent so much time in Romans together. It's an obvious question, but have you, have you given your life to Christ? We've got this far. See the need. Have you given your life to Christ? Have you embraced him? Have you seen your need for him? Are you living by the Spirit? Huh? It's the same question. That's the concern of this next section. We can get sidetracked by that question, do I live by the Spirit? But are you walking with Jesus? It's the same kind of thing. Chapter 8 verse 2 says, The law... Or you could read it, the power of the Spirit who gives life has set me free. Verse 4 builds on the idea, the righteous requirements of the law are fully met in us who live according to the Spirit. Uh, that's Ezekiel's expectation when God promised I'll put my Spirit on you. Well, that's Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34. But what is this new way of the Spirit? Well, let's look at Romans verse 5 of chapter 8. Those who live... 
It's a nice V8 driving past. Broom, broom. Uh, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. See the parallels. Here is the new way of the spirit, what it's not, verse 5, it's not having a mind for sinful nature and its desires. It's not that, that's master sin that we read about in chapter 6. Verse 6, it's not death. Walking in the spirit, the new way of the spirit, it's not death. Verse 7, it's not hostile to God, it's not disobedient. Verse 8, it's not displeasing to God. What is the new way of the Spirit? Look at verse five, the back end of verse 5. It's those who live in accordance with the Spirit. They have their minds set on the, what the Spirit desires. Well, what on earth does that mean? Do, do we have a mind set on what the Spirit desires? I could literally ask, do we have a mind set on spiritual things? That's what it is quite literally. So... Not only is your heart transformed, but your mind. Now you might be thinking, the spiritual things, I'm still no warmer. Well, Adam, help me. What are you on about? What is Paul on about? Well, you, might, you know, others might be going, well, do I need to be more touchy-feely, super spiritual? Is that what this is about? Do I need to speak in tongues, for example? Do I need to sit and wait for the still, small voice, so to speak? Do I go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 here and read all about spirit? No, 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 you don't have to do that. Spiritual things, here's a clue. When Paul talks about spiritual things here in Romans 8, it's helpful to know there's only one other place he uses this phrase in this way, and that's in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. If you're a big Bible, quick Bible flicker, turn there now. I don't often ask you to turn your page and find another section, but today is the exception. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 12 to 16. Keep your finger in Romans, don't lose that. 1 Corinthians 2, 12 to 16. Let me read it, and I'll speed read it. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, good, so that purpose we may understand what god has freely given to us that's nice this is what we speak not in words taught by us by human wisdom okay but in words taught by the spirit all right this is the apostle paul speaking remember explaining spiritual realities with spirit taught words the person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of god but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The Spirit, the person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. We have the Spirit from God, and he gives us words, spiritual truths, Spiritual things, spiritual words. And what do these words reflect? We have the mind of Christ. Spiritual things are words. 
Spiritual things are God's truth, God's word, the mind of Christ himself. What have you got on your lap? You have God's word, which expresses spiritual things, spiritual truths, the mind of Christ, if you like. Ephesians chapter 6 encourages us to put on the full armor of God. Verse 17 says, Ephesians chapter 6, do you know it? says, equip yourself with the sword of the, the Spirit, which is the, the Word of God. Great work if you got that right. So do you want a spiritual experience? Do you? Do you know we're having one right now? As we open up God's Word, the Apostle Paul, as we come to understand what what Romans is on about. You know, this is a spiritual work of God in your life right now. That's a spiritual experience. To set your mind on spiritual things is to set your mind on Christ and his word. His truth. It, it, you don't gl- just glance over it, but you embrace it and you absorb it. And we are changed by it in such a way that we live by it. Chapter 12, when we come to it, we'll call this a spiritual act of worship. So again, what do you set your mind on? What are are we filling our heads with or exposing ourselves to? Well, you know, romantic novels. Do your days pass by with your head in a romantic novel or violent computer games or dodgy late-night TV or music videos? Have you got your head so full of the football or the farm or the futures or the fillies or schoolwork? There's no room for anything else. Oh, the boyfriend or the girlfriend. That romantic inclination that just absorbs so much energy. Or... Is your mind set on Christ? The Christ that we read about in verses 1 to 4. Are you living the new way of the Spirit that we read about in verses 5 to 11? Are we being Christ-minded? What else is this new way of the Spirit? Well, verses 5 to 11, we'll see Christ-likeness coming out in here. Verse 6, the mind governed by the flesh, mind governed by the Spirit is... Here's the contrast, life and peace. Uh, verse 7, it's, it's, it's peace with God. The mind, it does not, um, it's contrasted to verse 7, isn't it? The reverse is true. Uh, it's peace with God. Well, verse 9, you're controlled by the Spirit if the Spirit of God lives in you. And conversely, if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, then you don't belong to Christ. How could you? That's pretty plain. Why is that? Because they're one and the same. Verse 10, but if you belong, if you belong, Christ is in you by his Spirit. Do you see how the Spirit points us to Jesus? This is totally consistent with John 14. And so are you living by the new way of the Spirit? Because this is what it means to belong. Verses 12 on shows us further what it means to live by the Spirit. Verse 12, we have an obligation not to the sinful nature. Verse 13, 
the fleshly sinful nature leads to death it's the second time we're told that verse 13b but if the spirit if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body you will live and so in response to the gospel our obligation is to jesus by the spirit and by that spirit we put to death the misdeeds of the body See, Paul is saying very clearly, brothers and sisters, you cannot have the Spirit of Christ in you and be at home with sin. You cannot have the Spirit of Christ in you and have an apathetic, whatever, approach to sin. A Christian is not ruled or dominated by sin. That is not the pattern of their life, we are not the wretched man of chapter 7. Paul is a great, goes to great lengths to dethrone sin and enthrone God in our lives. And because God has done that in Christ Jesus, he nudges us, verse 13 then, so live it out. Put to death the misdeeds of the body. It's not who you are. Stop behaving that way. Put to death the misdeeds of the body, the desires of the fleshly sinful nature, because there is a new principle at work in us. Live by the Spirit. Live instead to please God. Be spiritual. Set your minds on Christ and his word. William Temple was once, a long time ago, the Archbishop of Canterbury. And he said, you can tell me if you like to paint a painting like Van Gogh, but I cannot. I'm not Van Gogh. You could tell me if you like to write a play like Shakespeare, but I, I cannot. I'm not able. I'm not Shakespeare. Or you could tell me to obey the law like Jesus did, and I won't be able to. I cannot. I am not Jesus. But it's a bit strange. You know, if, if the spirit of Van Gogh was to come and live in me, well, I might just paint like Van Gogh. If the spirit of Shakespeare was to come and live in me, oh, well, um, I might just write plays and stories like Shakespeare. And if both of those examples are fanciful, by the way, if the Spirit of Christ was to come, that's not fanciful. If the Spirit of Christ was to come and live in me and move me to obey God's commandments, to love him and love our neighbour, well then, verse 4, the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met. I might actually start living a life that shows the work of Christ in me. Which means we cannot have the Spirit of Christ and be at home with sin. Paul doesn't want to mislead us at all and offer some kind of fool's hope. There is a great deal at stake. Verse 17, eternity is at stake. Uh, 
sharing in God's glory is at stake. Uh, No condemnation for those who belong, verse 1. And so we need to read this passage like our lives and our eternity depend on it. To belong to Christ is to live by the Spirit and to be co-heirs, sons of God. Verses 12 to 17 make it clear that if we live by the Spirit in Christ, our future is as co-heirs with Christ that we might share in God's glory, that we'll be part of the family, part of the family business, because we look like Christ. And that's what verse 14 says. Those who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. Children of God. We are God's children because when God looks at us, he sees his son. The son that we read about in verses 1 to 4 of this chapter. He sees his son living in us by the Spirit, verses 5 to 11. He sees us as a son that's pictured in verses 12 to 17. And so, verse 16, we cry, Abba, Father. We say, yep, you are my father. And that is a beautiful unrestrained emotional cry to God our Father as people who have taken on the family likeness. As we become transformed by Christ's Spirit to be Christ-like, like God's Son. And so if we share in the Sonship of Christ, that has two huge implications for us. It means, verse 17, that we look forward to one day sharing in His glory. We are co-heirs with Him No condemnation, verse 1. It also means, verse 17, that in the present we will share with him in his sufferings. (gasps) You didn't see that coming, did you? And so, in the present we will share with him in his sufferings. Paul points us back again to verses 1 to 4 and shows us we come full circle. This is what it's like to be God's child. And so an application must be at this point, are you suffering for the gospel? Are you actually taking up your cross daily? Jesus commands us to. He took up his, so we follow in his footsteps. Are you laying down your life for the benefit of others? In loving, godly service, are you bringing Christ to the front of your life, even though it might cost you terribly? This is the family likeness. This is who we are. This is a Christ likeness, a Christ mindedness when we love selflessly and sacrificially so brothers and sisters remember if we belong to Jesus we're no longer part of Adam's family Adam's family looks like sin and death and condemnation but we belong to Christ we bear his likeness we live by the spirit our mind is set on spiritual things like the word Peace, obedience, life, joy, pleasing God. We do that looking forward to eternity. Yet being willing to suffer in the meantime as God's children. Do you belong to Christ? There's no more important question that you could ever be asked. Your future depends on it. Do you belong to Christ? Are you living by the Spirit? Does God see the family likeness of his son when he sees you? Amen. Please make sure you spend 
some time praying. Uh, if you're able to pray through this passage, if you know how to do that, that's a really helpful thing. If you're with others, have a corporate time of prayer. Pray in response to what you've read. Absolutely. And then make sure you pray for all those other needs that we have. We have COVID. It's flaring up again. There's a mice plague. Why don't we ever pray about the mice plague? That's a strange one. We pray about drought, but mice plague. Oh, no. Pray about the mice. Um, the whole box and dice. The needs of uh, the Armadale Diocese, our Bishop Rod. Uh, please be praying. And may God bless you as you do that.